It is great to be back with you here in the auditorium. Through some shuffling of schedules and some rearranging, I think I, it's been since like November since I've been a part of this worship service. So it's great to see, and the best part is I'm seeing lots of new faces. So as a side note, Tom, our good friend Tom, who you see quite frequently, encouraged, if you are part of this church family and you are specifically coming to the auditorium with great regularity, there's a sign-up sheet just as a way to communicate and as a way to stay in touch. That's back there by the coffee uh, in the back of the room. They'd love to have you be a part of that and be able to communicate as things kind of happen down in this neighborhood. So... This morning, we are going to continue in our series. In fact, we're going to finish up our series that both here and in the sanctuary we've been going through, and we've been talking about lives changed by Jesus, or lives Jesus changed. And today, John is talking about a lot of seeing and believing, as he has throughout his whole gospel. If you think about the gospel of John, he's talked about what everybody else refers to as miracles. He's referred to them as signs, things that are pointing to Jesus. And his encouragement to us throughout the whole gospel is to see and to believe, to see and believe. So today's story from John 11, very familiar to probably most of us. It's the story of raising of Lazarus. So I want you to watch for a couple of things. I'm going to read the story to you, hopefully relatively slowly again, but I want you to listen for three things in particular, three things that stood out to me this time as I studied. One is the number of times that believe is mentioned. The second is that He loved them, and how that's repeated three different times in this particular piece of scripture. And then also see where the glory of God is repeated multiple, multiple times. And this morning I did a lot of my study throughout the last couple of weeks from the ESV translation, and I've also got bad eyes. So I'm not reading from scripture, but I am reading from scripture, but on a piece of paper. So you can get bigger font when you print it out yourself. So I'm going to encourage you, and I think we're going to have the ESV translation up on the screen. It's going to be a little bit different than maybe some of your translations, but close enough, even if you brought your own Bible, I think you'll be able to follow along. So from John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was dead. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he does not see the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 
And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come out with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Here ends the reading of God's word. You know, it's, it's, again, it's a fairly familiar story for many of us. And one, I guess, a place to start, you, you know, and you're trying to preach on this, and because of its familiarity, you kind of have to figure out, where do I want to start, and what do, you, what do you, we've only got 30 minutes, so there's so much, to, so much to go over in many different directions we can go. So I'm going to have us dive right in at verse 5, because it says, so when, so when, No, let me back up. Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister Lazarus. Her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6 says, So when? That is the same as saying, Therefore. 
So anytime you see therefore, we've all kind of been taught, or many of us have been taught, that's when you start paying attention. So therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He stayed two days longer. Okay, I think we can all agree that would not be our normal protocol. That would not be the way normally any of us would answer the call of a friend who seems desperate, who seems in great need, whether that's family, whether that's friend. If you get the call, probably regardless of the time of day, you go. You go. If somebody's near death and they're calling you, asking for help, you go. Why? Why did Jesus stay? And we read it. We read it back in verse 4. Back in verse 4 it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness will not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So circle that one. For the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may also be glorified through it. Circle that one. We're going to circle all the glorifieds. It is for the glory of God and that the Son of God may be glorified. In other words, here's the key part of this whole sermon. This was a new revelation to me. I want to put it very clearly. In other words, it was more loving to put Lazarus through death. It was more loving to put Mary and Martha through the grief of their brother's death. It would reveal more of God's glory if he stayed. Honestly, that's, that's a hard pill for us to swallow. As we go through life, as we go through life and things don't necessarily turn out in the direction or the way that we think they should. Somebody that is way too young passes away. Somebody that doesn't deserve it goes through a hardship. Somebody that desperately is trying their hardest, they cannot find a job and their job's gone. I mean, we've got an endless list of things that just don't make sense to us. But I think one of the lessons that we need to learn, part of what the glory of God is, is that we need to trust we need to trust that God's glory is on display. Now that sounds like a churchy thing, but I think we need to get that into our hearts and so deeply ingrained that we can trust that somehow God's glory is on a glorious display as we go through life, as we go through some of the hardships. So today I want to encourage all of us, as I've been encouraged over the last few weeks as I studied, Jesus loves us most. Jesus loves us most. Certainly there are other ways, but I'm going to be of the opinion this morning that Jesus loves us most by showing us himself. By revealing his divine power. By showing us his glory. That's how Jesus loves us most. So today I think it's important we're going to take a step back, and I'm going to give you a broad overview. Before we dive into the actual passage, I want to remind all of us, there's a pattern that I think you've seen in John. If you haven't, I'm going to point it out, and maybe you can go back through and restudy John. But certainly throughout the gospel, there's a pattern in the gospel. Let's look back at John, and I've, again, printed this one out, and I apologize. Back in John 1. Again, it's going to be a fairly familiar verse. We've talked about this. Verse 14 through 16, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us as we have seen his glory. Glory is only the Son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he whom I said 
He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we all have received grace upon grace. So here's the pattern. Here's the pattern throughout the Gospels. That the revealing of the glory of God in Christ and climaxing in the cross and the resurrection, that's step one. That's step one. God's glory. But here's the key. When we see it, by God's grace, we are allowed to see that glory. That's when grace upon grace, when we're filled with grace upon grace and all the benefits, all the stuff that comes after, that's the steps. That's the step. God's glory is revealed through the Father's grace. We see it. And then we have grace upon grace. And that's what you're going to see in this story and throughout the Gospels. Friends, this is how he loves us. He loves us and he shows us. He gives us Jesus. That's the way he most shows his love. He gives us Jesus, his perfect love, his perfect joy, his perfect justice, his perfect mercy, his perfect patience. I could go on and on and on. When we see that, that's how God shows us that he loves us the most. So friends, kind of an obvious statement that you would expect me to say. If you are, if you are calculating God's love for you by your wealth, by your health, by your comfort, may I suggest that you have it wrong. Because it's in how much Jesus is revealed. In fact, could I even go so far as to say if that's the truth, if that's the truth based on health and wealth and comfort, God really hated the, the Apostle Paul. Interesting to think about. So, I thought, all right, that sounds good. But let's, let's use Scripture to check that idea. Let's use Scripture to check whether that's idea, that idea is correct, that that's mainly how God shows us his love. So I've got an idea for us. Let's go to a passage that all of us probably know, very familiar with, John 3.16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We've all heard that, we all cling to that, and that's a good one. That's what most people think about when you're thinking about God's love. That he gave us eternal life through the crucifixion of his son. The gift that he gave us through the life and death of his son. And I would say yes, 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 I agree with that too. But let me ask you this question based on that particular verse. What is eternal life? The verse says that Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So what is eternal life? Good question, Brian. Let's ask Jesus. Jesus tells us in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sensed. Did you catch it? Eternal life is that they may know you. The essence of that is just astounding to me. I got fired up thinking about that. The essence is the never-ending knowing of God, the Father, and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's to know him forever. That's eternal life. With an increasing knowledge, with an increasing joy, more 
and more and more. I know I've talked to you before where it's almost like that water fountain that just keeps flowing and flowing. Another word picture that you might have, it's like you're climbing the Alps and you get to the top of that and you see the beauty and the grandeur and you're fired up and then after 10,000 more years, there's more. There's another climb, mountain to climb and you don't do it and you're not bored. You do it with excitement. You climb that and after 10,000 years, there's more. That's everlasting life. That's everlasting life. That's the experience. And God is inviting us into an everlasting knowing and adoring and enjoying of him. The second confirmation of that idea would come from John 14, verse 21, if you want to mark that down and look at it later. But basically it says this from my little sheet, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and here's some real like church language, I will manifest myself to him. What does that mean? What does that mean? If he's going to love us, what does manifest himself to us mean? Manifest, there's a lot of different ways you can, it's like he's going to reveal himself to us. He's going to make himself real. He's going to declare himself, declare himself plainly so that we get it. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You know, some of us have experienced just that, haven't we? In our darkest days, in our most lonely days, in our most desperate times when life gives us a sucker punch, Jesus shows up. He shows up. He makes himself known. Sometimes in itty-bitty small ways, but he shows up and he makes himself known. He's real. That's how he shows you that he loves you. And as we see at the first part of this story, and as many of us have experienced in life, he doesn't always take away the hurt. He doesn't always take away the pain, does he? But he's there. And he's trying and praying that you will see and sense his glory. So here's my pastoral moment. As you are walking with others, and they are in those deep, dark, lonely, you don't know which way to turn kind of moments, let that be your prayer. Not so much that the pain go away. Yeah, that that can be part of it. But just pray that somehow, somehow they get a glimpse of Jesus through whatever they're going through. Somehow they can see and feel And sense his glory and his love. Our story goes on. Jesus says, let's go. And I I chuckle, and I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but I chuckle because Thomas kind of gets a bad rap. There's all kinds of commentators that are all over the board about his response, whether he's like he's a, we're going to do it and we're going to go to the death. Then I heard one commentator that said, Thomas is kind of like here, oh my, I guess we're going to die. We may as well go. So that's kind of the beauty of of reading commentators. They're kind of all over the board, and we're going to see that as we continue. But the point of the story is, as Jesus gets to Bethany, he encounters three different people, the two sisters, obviously, and the the group, the crowd, the mourners that are along with them. He encounters all three of them. And they all ask or state basically the same question. 
And here's the little bit of a twist that I think I've come to a revelation or has been revealed to me in the last couple of weeks as I've studied. Their questions have a certain tinge of the questioning of Jesus' love to them. Remember back in verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I think everybody in the community, certainly the sisters, but everybody in the community knew that he had stayed two days longer. So I think there was this certain, like, there was a questioning. There was just this air of a question. Jesus had chosen I think that's the important thing for us to remember. Jesus had chosen to love Lazarus and his sisters, not by coming right away. And now that act is being questioned. That act is being used to question his love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So let's talk a little bit. Let's take a look at how Jesus responds. Three different ways that I want to point out to you. Three different ways. One is profound truth about himself. Secondly is strong emotion from himself. And thirdly, we're going to see powerful action by himself. Truth about himself, emotion from himself, action by himself. And again, remember, the whole goal of coming late was to reveal his glory. So first, profound truth. Jesus speaks to Martha. If we look back at our passage, starting in verse 21, it says this, when uh, Martha said to the Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, truth. Whoever believes in me, though you die, yet ye shall live. And anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Truth. Do you believe this? Friends, do we believe that? Jesus reveals his glory with his words, with the truth. It's almost like he's saying to Martha, Martha, you believe, you believe, I hear what you're saying, you believe that there's going to be a great and glorious day of a resurrection at the coming at the end of the day, of the end of the age, when all the believers are going to meet the Messiah. And you're right. You're right, Martha, that is going to happen. And Martha, I am that resurrection. I am the arrival of that day. I'm so excited. Side note, we're going to go into the I am statements after Easter. Oh, man, there's going to be some good stuff, so keep coming. This is just kind of keeps priming the pump. So I am, he tells Martha. I am the Messiah, Martha. It has come. It is here. What you're about to witness is that. Today I'm showing you that the end of the age has arrived, Martha, I am the resurrection. This is what I want you to see. It's going to happen. If you're his, you're coming out of the grave. I'm exactly what Lazarus needs. I'm exactly what you need, Martha. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. That's for Lazarus. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's for you, Martha. That's for you, third church. You who live and believe in Jesus, you will never die. There will never be a millisecond where you are out of the presence and the glory of Jesus if you believe in him. Pastor Kevin has talked about this. Tom has talked about this. Many of our speakers have talked about this. We're going to be in this life, and the next thing we are walking, and we are in the presence of Jesus in glory. Never a second without him. You'll never taste death. That's part of what we celebrate through the whole Holy Week. That's part of the beauty of Easter. Because of that resurrection, because he died, because he conquered death, we will never taste death. It's like Jesus is saying to Martha. And Jesus is saying to each one of us, I love you. This revelation that I am the resurrection and the life means that I love you. Then Jesus has the very almost basic conversation with Mary. She's weeping, weeping from her toes. Can you almost see it? Now that I've been in pastoral ministry a while, I have seen and experienced and walked with people that are weeping at levels I didn't know was possible. So I can see it very clearly, the emotion that Mary has as she comes to Jesus Lord, Lord, if you were only here, can you just feel and sense the emotion? And here's the beauty of our Savior. He knows each one of us so individually. He knows exactly what we need. Martha needed truth. Mary, Mary needed something different. She needed Jesus to show strong emotion, and he does. Jesus weeps. He cares. I have this, and again, it's a familiar passage for many of us, up on my computer in my office from Hebrews 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Yet then with confidence we draw near this, the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. Not only does, has he faced sin, but I think he's faced as a fully human, he's faced all the emotions, the full range of emotions that we have. Oh, what a revelation of that. What a beautiful thing and beautiful picture for us to have that our Savior is not only truth, but he has strong emotion. But besides the weeping, and here's where things got really interesting in my study. Besides the weeping, there's two words at the end of verse 33, deeply moved and greatly troubled. You probably saw them. You maybe wondered. Maybe you've even heard about them. The deeply moved one is the same word that's said again in verse 38. The word means to rebuke or to warn. The greatly troubled 
is like shaken or agitated. It's, much, it's the same word that in another gospel where they talk about the pool at Bethesda where the water's being stirred up. That's the same word that's used there. So it's not a passive emotion that Jesus has. Jesus was upset. He was disturbed. Scholars are all over the board about what he was upset about. Many. And I would probably fall in this camp until about a week ago. Many believe that he was stirred up almost like a horse with his nostrils flaring. Kind of that word picture. That kind of anger at sin and at death and at where his world had gotten to. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I'm going to throw out a proposal for us to think about and consider. Because I think, I think Jesus' strong emotion that he shows is being, as far as being stirred up and agitated is in response to what's said in verse 37. What was verse 37? Some of them, the crowd, said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I think Jesus' agitation and anger was at that questioning of his love. That level of unbelief, that they were questioning his motives, his power, the why didn't he? I'm not going to set firmly, dig my heels in on either one of those camps, whether Jesus is angry at death, whether Jesus is angry at the response of the crowd, because I think they both have some merit. Here's the thing that I found real beauty in. I have a Jesus that has emotions. We don't worship a stone. We have a Jesus that has always accorded, he has emotions that are perfectly accorded with whatever the situation is. When it needs anger, he's angry. When it's, when it's weeping, he's weeping. So I think the idea that he showed emotion here is also an act of his love. That revelation is an act of his love. But here's why I'm drawn to this second idea that was new to me, the idea that he was angry at the unbelief. Because I think the doubting of his power, being unsure about his love, these are the very things, friends, that keep us from seeing the glory of God when we're in the pits of life. And I think that made him angry. Because he wants us to see his glory. He loves us. And that's what he wants us to see. And then finally, it's time for powerful action. Verse 39, he commands, take away the stone. Again, knowing Jesus could do anything he wants, isn't it interesting that he had them roll the stone away? Lots of, again, theories on why. I think one of the things is so that Lazarus could clearly hear his voice. I think there's a message for us about clearly hearing a voice. And then there's one last expression of doubt. Martha saying, you know, you roll the stone away, it's going to smell. He's been dead for four days. There's decay, all of that. And then verse 40, guess what we're back to? Believe, see the glory of God, and then Jesus prays. Why does he pray? He prays that only the Father gets the glory. And he prays that the people that are standing there can see that he and the Father are one. Why? So that they would believe. They would believe that only God has the power to give life. 
And then in verse 43, he cries out, and Lazarus comes out from the tomb. Jesus raises the dead man because he is the resurrection. This is the glory of Jesus. He is the arrival of God's final glorious renovation of all things, all things that he has created. And friends, here's the best part of the story. This whole story of Lazarus' resurrection is just a preview. It's a trailer of your resurrection and mine. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we finish things up. So as we think about these things, as we process these things, as we look back on this scripture, I understand fully, trust me, I fully understand that there are times when life has been hard for some of us. That trusting in the power of Jesus can be difficult. When it's easy to question God's will and his ways rather than believing in his plan and his purpose. When we doubt his healing abilities. Can I just encourage all of you, in those moments, as I said just a little while ago, pray for just a glimpse. Pray for a glimpse of his glory, that somehow Jesus will reveal his glory, that Jesus will reveal himself to you. A couple weeks ago when we had our conference, the speakers were talking about hitting a wall as we go through our process of discipleship and as we become disciples. And maybe that's where you're at. And if you're not there, there will be a moment where you probably hit a wall. A wall meaning where you've kind of hit and you're stuck in your faith journey. Or maybe it's a place where you just feel dry, where things just don't seem to, to resonate as much. You don't, you don't feel that closeness to God as you maybe have felt before. Or maybe you're at a place where it's not easy to trust God in your disappointments and in your lonely moments. Alicia Brooksford, great friend of mine, I've quoted her quite often. She had another one that just hit home with me this week. She says, what looks like a lonely place is often a sacred place in disguise. What looks like a lonely place is often just a sacred place in disguise. So when we seek him in those times, when we seek to draw near he promises that as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. When we draw near to him, we'll find him. We'll find him waiting with the hope. And our whole series, as I said, has been about lives that Jesus changed. And I found it rather interesting that in one of the early verses of our passage is that it kind of, it's written kind of after the fact and it tells us what actually happens Next week, where Mary is the one who pours the oil on Jesus' feet. So after this is when Mary pours the oil on Jesus' feet. She's experienced this and she has sold out. Totally sold out to her Lord and Savior. She's been through the depths of grief. But she saw the glory of Jesus. And she sold out to him. So my question to all of us, as you've heard these stories over the last few weeks, as you hear this story, will your life be changed? Will your life be changed because of what you believe? If you believe the truths, 
Will your life be changed? I'll back up a step. Do you want your life to change? As Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? Second thing I'll ask, will you hear the call of his voice? Will you slow down enough? Will you quiet the things around you that you can hear the call of his voice? And when you do, will you obey and come out of the grave? Friends, Jesus loves you. He wants to make himself known to you. And it may not always look like love or like what we thought it should. But I want to promise you, he's there in the waiting. He's there in the desert. He's there when you're at the wall and you seemingly just can't break through. He's there. Pray for eyes to see him. Pray to see his glory.